You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Wow, happy Easter. And good afternoon to you. Great to see you here. If you're visiting with us today, a special warm welcome to you. Absolutely delighted to have you here, along with Esther, who's been leading the service this morning. Uh, my name is Martin. We have the privilege of pastoring this church along with a great team. And just thrilled to have you here at CLM for our second service. And of course, today, we are going to consider the, the glorious, the majestic, the world-changing the life-transforming, the eternity-impacting resurrection of Jesus Christ. He alone has conquered death. Can I hear an amen? amen. He alone. You know, in Acts 2, Peter, that Peter, one of Jesus' followers, the one who has said to him, when Jesus starts speaking of going to Jerusalem, Jesus begins to let them know he's got to go to the cross. And Peter's the one who pulls him aside and says, No, Lord, you'll never go. And the Bible says Jesus turned to Peter and rebuked him and said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Because the things of God were that Jesus had to go to the cross. But, you know, the very first sermon that was preached in the Christian church was Peter himself, who, having said, Jesus, you'll never go, had witnessed Jesus die on the cross. And had come to begin to comprehend the significance of Jesus' death on the cross. And had witnessed him raised from the dead. Had had multiple encounters. And he stands up and he preaches these words. And he says this. Uh, sorry, he, he says here, God raised this Jesus. Can we say this Jesus? God raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of the fact. And he goes on to say again, this Jesus. Can we say this Jesus? This Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. We come to celebrate this Jesus. There's no one like this Jesus. This Jesus has become my Jesus. I don't know if he's become your Jesus. This Jesus became my Jesus at the age of 17 when I grasped the message of the cross. And I began to understand that this risen Christ had died for me and had risen for me. And in him I could find not just forgiveness but the fullness of of life. You know, there's no person too broken, no person too sinful, too sick, too successful, too popular, too isolated, too hated, too anything to benefit from the message of Jesus and having Him in their life. I want to invite you today, whether you've known Jesus for many decades or you are brand new to faith or you're here, maybe come with a friend or a relative on Easter Sunday and you don't yet know Him, to open your heart wide to Him here this afternoon as we gather. If you want a title for this message, it's simply this, Because He Lives, Because He Lives. You know, because He Lives, the power of sin is broken. Hello? Because he lives, the devil is overcome. Because he lives, death has been defeated. Because he lives, the demons tremble. Because he lives, all fear is broken. Because he lives, a way into heaven has been made. Because he lives, he holds the keys of death and hell. Because he lives, is healing in his name. Because he lives, he wears the victor's crown and he offers life to you, even here in Coventry today. 
If you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Luke 24? We're going to read the early in the morning account of that incredible day when the tomb was found to be empty. We're not going to preach purely out of this text, but let's begin here today. This is Luke 24, verses 1 to 8. It'll appear on the screen. On the first day of the week, the Bible says, Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered it, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wandering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then... They remembered his words. You know, here in the story, in the chronology, this is Sunday morning. But we, we cannot separate Sunday morning from the journey that has brought him to this place. And just for a moment, let's set this incredible news in its context. Jesus, God the Son who became flesh and made his dwelling among us, grew up and lived a sinless life, preaching and teaching words that have never been matched by anyone else, performing miracles. But he knows that the reason he came, for this cause came I into the world, he says, was to go to the cross for all the sin and shame of all humanity. And here, Sunday morning, the Thursday night before, he's gathered with the 12 disciples and they've celebrated the Passover supper. The Passover celebration in Israel, which was the remembering of how God delivered Israel out of captivity in Egypt. And Jesus comes and he says, I have eagerly desired to celebrate this Passover with you. And he comes and he, he, he does something really strange because they come to this familiar meal where they remember how the blood of a spotless lamb was put over the doorposts of those in Israel and the angel of death that passed by avoided those who had the covering of the blood of the lamb. And somehow Jesus is saying, this is no longer about times past. This is about times present. I am the spotless lamb. I am the Passover lamb. Four cups were part of the Passover meal as we were reminded here on Good Friday to remember four things of how firstly God brought them out. Secondly, how God delivered them. Thirdly, how God redeemed them. And fourthly, how God took them to himself to be his people. And now Jesus, he offers the four cups in one cup. And he says, this is the cup of a new covenant. Drink this in remembrance of me. My blood, he says, of a new covenant. This is Thursday. He's speaking of something totally new, a new covenant. From there, they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, and there Jesus wrestles. If it's possible to take this cup from me, he says. He's not here speaking of the cup of a new covenant. He's speaking of the bitter and vile cup of the sin of all humanity that he is about to metaphorically drink to receive upon himself as he goes to the cross. He says, Father, if there's any way you can take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And he wrestles in the garden. The Bible says there were sweat like drops of blood coming from him as he agonized over what he was about to go through. And contained in that cup, your sin and my sin. All the things we've, we've ever done wrong that stood against God, 
from us. And yet he comes and says, let me take that for you. This is Thursday night. He's under house arrest and Friday morning he's put on trial. Resolutely he goes to the cross. He doesn't try and defend himself. He doesn't call down angels. He doesn't fight his corner. He just remains silent and allows things to be played out. But Pontius Pilate, the Roman prefect in Judea, could find no cause, no basis for a charge against him. He sends him over to King Herod, the king of Judea. But, but, no, but similarly, Herod could find no charge against him. But they come back, the, the, the crowd is being stirred up and they begin to shout, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus is sentenced to death upon a cross. The Bible tells us that a crown of thorns is made and, and pushed into his head. There would have been massive bleeding from the head. He would have been tied to a, a three-meter post and, and lashed, whipped with a cat of nine tails, a leather-stranded whip with lead and glass embedded in the whip and, and whipped and his back ripped open. They spat at him. They, they flogged him. They punched him. They mocked him. And then they prepared him for the cross. He has to move and take his cross, although help comes from the crowd, to help him get up to Golgotha, the place of the skull, where they had to be crucified. And he, he would have had the cross laid down on the ground, he himself on top of the cross, with his back against the wood. And, and there, nine-inch nails driven through his wrists and driven through his feet. And then with ropes, they would have raised the cross up and dropped it into a slot in the ground, causing dislocation of many bones, fulfilling prophecy after prophecy. Jesus is there, and on the cross, he takes your sin and my sin. On Good Friday here, we, we allow many people to come and, and just write some things on a little scroll here, a little piece of card and, and post it in the cross and say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for taking my place. Normally, those being crucified have their legs broken at a certain stage so they can't pull themselves up to catch a breath. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. They pierced his side and a, and a flow of blood and water came out. Peter, the one who said, you'll never go to the cross. Years later, he understands it. And in 1 Peter 2.24, he tells us what it meant. He said, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. The Greek word for healed means freed as well. By his wounds, you've been healed and you've been freed. I don't know whether you have yet received the message of the cross. Normally, those who were crucified, their bodies were just thrown on a scrap heap for the vultures to come. But a secret follower, Joseph of Arimathea, comes and requests the body of Jesus from Pontius Pilate. And he's granted it. And they wrap the body in spices and cloths. Normally, there'd be about 30 kilograms of spices wrapped with linen strips. And they would have bound up the body, put a face cloth over the head and, and bound it up and made up like a cocoon that would then have been placed inside the tomb. And Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, the Bible says, was cut into, into a rock face like the one we see on the screen. They would have had this huge disc of stone that was rolled in front that would drop into a slot in the ground. And when it was pushed along, it would drop down. It'd be very, very difficult to get out. That's why the women, when they came on that morning, they said, we don't know how we're going to move the stone away. The guard, the, the chief priests were concerned. They knew that Jesus had spoke about raising a temple on the third day. 
And as we heard at the very start of our meeting, they came to Pilate and they said, we need to make the, the tomb secure because it would be even worse if the disciples came and stole the body. The, the second deception would be worse than the first. And so a guard was placed there. Let me help you here. Under Roman law, a guard was either 60 or 120 soldiers. It's not one security corps guy. Make the tomb as secure as you know how, they're told. Probably 120 soldiers are guarding the tomb. They sealed it. They would have put clay around it. But when the women came on that first, the third day on the Sunday morning, the stone was already moved away. The guard had been dispersed and there was nobody in the grave because Jesus has risen and Jesus is alive and Jesus remains alive. If someone had stole the body, they'd have stole the whole unit. But John says, I went there and the strips of linen, they were there on the ground. The face cloth had been folded up. Those who never fold your pajamas, Jesus, he even folded up the face cloth. And he comes out. There's no linen strips. Why? Because he's alive. And he's still alive. See, my friends, the, the empty tomb began to be an issue, but it wasn't half a, a, as issue as was the risen Jesus because he kept appearing to people. The issue was not the empty tomb. It was the risen Jesus himself. Fifteen recorded appearances in the Bible. He appeared to Mary Magdalene at the tomb. He appeared to the women returning from the tomb. He appeared to Peter later in the day, to the two on the road to Emmaus, to the disciples minus Thomas to the disciples with Thomas, to the seven by the lake of Tiberias, the multitude of 500, to James, his half-brother, the, the 11 at the Great Commission, at the Ascension, Paul on the road to Damascus, Stephen at his death, Paul at the temple, John at Patmos. My friends, Jesus is alive and he will appear to you if you will open your heart to him. And all over the world, Jesus is appearing to people. Appearing by the Holy Spirit and in some places where they're trying to chain the gospel, Jesus appearing in person. Story after story being told of this Jesus appearing in dreams and visions. Some of you heard me share a story, a friend I have who works in a, a country in the world where if you preach Christ, you're sentenced to death. And my friend met a, a young man, a young Muslim man who had, was troubled because Jesus kept appearing to him in a dream, coming out of a sandstorm and offering him the bread and the cup. And he knew that it was Jesus. And my friend tried to help him. And, and his father got so concerned, the father of the young man, and he banned him from seeing my friend and sent him instead on a pilgrimage to Mecca. And this young man went to seek after Allah, to find God. And at the holiest place upon that pilgrimage, the final stage of the pilgrimage, on the marble floor of the sacred mosque in Mecca, when this young man put his head to the floor, Jesus appeared to him again, coming out of the sandstorm, offering him the bread and the cup. Secretly, he came back and met my friend and gave his life to Jesus. And there he worships Jesus in the underground church of hundreds of thousands of people. Why? Because Jesus is alive. And he cannot be stopped. And the gospel cannot be chained because Jesus is alive. My friend, he died for you and he lives for you. Let's briefly unpack three thoughts. Because he lives, firstly, the power of sin is broken. Can we say that together? The power of sin is broken. The power of sin is broken. We thank God for the cross. We thank God for sins forgiven, sins past. If you've never known the forgiveness of the cross, 
Let me tell you today that Jesus died for you, that he laid down his very life for you. And upon his outstretched body on the cross as he bled and died, your sin and your shame, anything that was stood between you and God was taken upon him. If you just receive the message of the cross, your sin is wiped clean. This is the message of the gospel. It's not a try harder gospel. It's a receive Jesus gospel. We thank God for that. I remember being deeply impacted as a young Christian, hearing the story of a, a man of God who, who came to a church and, and, and didn't know anybody in the church when he arrived, but, but started prophesying over people and speaking words of knowledge. And he, he pulled out a group of people uh, all at once and, and then he started moving down the line and he, he spoke over the first person and, and he told the man many things about his life he could not possibly have known and spoke this, this prophetic word. And somewhere down the line there was a lady and when he came to her, he said, when I saw you, the Lord showed me there was something in your past of which you have been ashamed and it has limited you all the days of your life. What he didn't know is this was the wife of one of the leaders of the church. And he then said, and I asked God to show me what it was. And everybody leant forward. And he said, and the Lord spoke to me. And he said, I do not remember. I do not remember. Not I cannot remember. This is my Jesus. I do not remember. This is the message of the cross. But not only of sins forgiven. You see, my friends, really that's Friday's message. Sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. But Sunday's message is the power of sin is broken. You see, there was a time when we couldn't not sin. But in Christ, we have been made alive. If you have come into relationship with Jesus, the old has gone and the new has come. And there might still be the outworking of that. There might be a wrestle. But the power of sin is broken. It no longer has dominion over you. And I don't know whether you realize that yet. But you can live in the newness of life, the fullness of life. Christ's life in you. This is the resurrection power of Jesus. We have been changed from the inside out. We can call upon Him. I'm sure many of us, we, we make mistakes. We get things wrong. We, we allow the old self to rise up. Telling a story a couple of weeks ago in the sixth service of, we were talking about, about outbursts of anger. And I, I will recall the story when I, I did a bad piece of driving. I can't say it's ever the first time. I, it's the first time, I, it's the only time I've ever done a bad piece of driving. I don't try and be a bad driver. But I remember going onto the motorway and I, I judged things badly and I kind of carved up this van and I ended up behind this van and I, I kind of apologized, but you know, like with a white van, you kind of can't really see the driver and so I couldn't really apologize. And as we went down a little bit, I got a bit further along. I drew level with the van and the driver gave me a sign. He gave me a sign to let me know he was not pleased with my driving. It was a clear sign that was intelligible to most people. It involved just two fingers. And I, but as I glanced across, I recognized the man from church. And very quickly, because he must have recognized me, the gesture became a covering of the face. Next Sunday in church, I saw him. He didn't say a word. And neither did I. I let him believe I never realized it was him. But if you're listening on the podcast, you were busted, my friend. But listen, we all, 
We all make mistakes. We all get it wrong. But the power, the power of sin is broken. The power of sin is broken. You might be, feel like you're fighting a losing battle, my friend, against sin, but the power of sin has been broken if you've come to Jesus. And in those moments of temptation, you can call out on Him and find the Spirit of God within you can help you to live a different life. This is how Romans 6 in the message puts it. Could it be any clearer? The old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin-miserable life. No longer at sin's beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in His life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, He took sin down with Him. But alive, He brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You're dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected to the old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, You've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You are living in the freedom of God. My friends, let's thank him for his matchless death and sacrifice. But as we invite his resurrection life into our lives, sin no longer is your master. The power of sin is broken. We have to make those choices not to run those little errands. But everything has changed because Jesus lives. Secondly, because Jesus lives, death has been defeated. Can we say that together? Because Jesus lives, death has been defeated. Death has been defeated. We need fear it no more. It is not the end. It is only the beginning. We've just read it when Jesus was raised from the dead. It was the end of death as the end. Some of you might have heard the story of Albert Einstein traveling on a crowded train and the ticket collector comes down the carriage and, and, and comes checking everybody's ticket and they're all getting their tickets out and he's clipping it with that little clipper thing that they do on the trains when they're checking your tickets and, and he comes to the table where Albert Einstein is and Albert is trying to, Dr. Einstein is trying to find his ticket and he can't find his ticket, he's checking his pockets and the, the ticket collector recognizes him. And humble that he's traveling on his train, he says, Dr. Einstein, please, don't worry, I'm, I'm sure you bought a ticket. And he moves on to the next table, but as he gets to the end of the carriage, he turns back and he sees Dr. Einstein on his hands and knees under the table, looking as if he's searching for his ticket. And he, he goes back, he says, please, Dr. Einstein, don't, don't worry, I, I'm sure you bought a ticket. He said, young man, I'm sure I bought a ticket. My secretary bought the ticket and I had it with me. That I do know. What I do not know is where I'm going. <laughs> you see, sometimes we, we maybe don't know or maybe didn't know where we were going, but thank God we know where we're going. Thank God in Jesus, we know where we are going. Just give me a wave if you know where you're going. You know, there's our, our time will come on this earth and our time will come to an end for every one of us. Death is the ultimate statistic. But on that day, 
As Billy Graham said all those years ago, you will hear it said Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. On that day, I will be more alive than I have ever been because death has been defeated. This is the power of the resurrection. 1 John 5, 11 to 12 says, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever has the Son has life. If you have the Son, meaning if you're in Jesus, if you have the Son, you have life. And whoever does not have the Son, let me say that again, whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Why? Because He is the life. He has conquered death. He appears to John at Patmos and he says, I was dead, but behold, I love that word, behold, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and hell. He who has the Son has life and it, it occurred to me some years ago, thinking about what this meant, is, it's like being grafted into a tree. And if, if there's a, a tree that I'm grafted into that is dead, and I think we've got some the picture here, if, if I'm grafted into a tree that's dead, even if I was alive, I've come to realize if there is no life in that tree, I can hang on as long as I want. I can try to produce life, but ultimately if there is no life in the thing I am in, then only death can come to me. But if I'm grafted in to the one who lives forever, all I need to do is stay in him. If I'm in him, if if I'm in Christ, if my life is found in Christ, then I am in the one who can never die and who lives forever in the power of an indestructible life. If I'm found in Jesus, I will ever live. Death, my friends, has been defeated. This is the good news of Resurrection Sunday. The King James Version. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? My friends, for every one of us, when our time comes, we need not be afraid. Maybe you've been here. Maybe you've been fearing death. I understand we don't want to go early to our grave and there are loved ones and there's a wrestle. But let me tell you, we do not need to fear death. It will be so glorious on the other side in the presence of the risen Jesus. No more weeping. No more pain. We shall be with him and we shall reign with him. I believe this with all my heart. We sang this morning, it gets me, when we arrive at eternity's shore, where death is just a memory and tears are no more, we'll enter in as the wedding bells ring. Your bride will come together and we'll sing your beautiful. That's why Paul can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says in Philippians, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. What's he saying? He said, I, I feel my work isn't done yet. I feel that actually I'm, I'm going to be a benefit to you, the church, so I, I should stay. But do you know what? I'd be as happy as anything to go and be with him. I'm not living for this. I'm living for that. I'm living to be on the other side. And thirdly, because he lives, he lives in me. Because he lives, he lives in me. My friends, there is the hope of the life to come. 
There is the eternal life of which we've been speaking, for which we must forever be grateful. The promise of salvation, the hope for our souls. But his life is not just for then, his life is for now. I think this is what I didn't get when I first became a Christian. I, I understood the cross, but I didn't understand the tomb. I understood that Jesus had died for my sin, but I had to come to understand that his life was for me now. His life was, it was not just paying a price, a transaction to get me through and over the line. It was a new way of living with his resurrection life, empowering me and changing me from the inside out. Because he lives, he lives in me. That's why Paul can write in Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live. Can we say this together? But Christ lives in me. Can we say that phrase again together? But Christ lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live. But Christ lives. But Christ lives in me. Paul understood what it was to have the life of Jesus, the resurrected life of Jesus living in him, changing him, empowering him. My friends, Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not a way of belief. It's, it's like, you know, sometimes you see things like crop circles and some people think it's farmers having a laugh and some people think it's aliens. Christianity is not, it's not a point of, of belief alone. It is the transformation of our lives, of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And I don't know, my friend, whether you've yet understood that, that he comes. Jesus, by the power of Holy Spirit, even today, he comes and stands by you in your seat and says, will you let my life in? The life that was won. We celebrate not only a victory over the grave and over sin and over death. We have opened for us the very life of the resurrected Jesus. I find it so profound in the gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrection that they, they, don't, they don't paint a picture of the devil defeated. They don't tell the story of Jesus being reinstated at the Father's side. They, they don't unpack in the gospel accounts of the legions of, of angels celebrating in heaven. They tell the stories that are so personal. You see, it's, it could have been those things, but it isn't. Instead, it's, it's Mary. It's Jesus comes and he appears to Mary. Mary, the one out of whom seven demons had been cast. The one whose life had been broken. The one who, who'd been messed up and Jesus had made her right. Now Jesus is dead, but now Jesus is alive and, and he comes. And he comes to Mary. And he comes and speaks to her. She actually thinks he's the gardener. Wow. And she says, where have you put him? And he says, Mary, Mary, Mary. It's Mary, but also it's Thomas. It's Thomas. It's Thomas, the disciple who, who somehow, when, when Jesus comes and appears to the eleven, he, Thomas is out. Everyone's there, but Thomas isn't there. Can you imagine missing it? And the risen Jesus comes and stands among them, and, and they see him, and they talk with him, and they eat together. And, and Thomas comes back. He, I don't know if he's just gone to the shops, but he comes back and said, he was here. Jesus is alive. And Thomas says, I don't believe it. He says, I believe it when I see it. And then Jesus comes and he comes to Thomas. And he says, hey, Tom, put your finger, if you want, in my, 
in my wounds. Put your hand in my side. Stop doubting and believe. I'm not saying you're a doubter. I'm just picking on you because you sat there. It's Mary. It's Thomas. You know, it's also, it's Peter. It's Peter, the, Peter, the disciple. Peter, the one who's, who's gone after Jesus, but then he's failed. He's denied him. He, he says, if everyone else, if everyone else denies you, I'll never deny you. And Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. Tonight, before the, before the sun goes down, the, the cock will crow three times. You will deny me. And Peter denies him. It says he went out and he wept bitterly. And Jesus comes to Peter and he, he picks him out. And he draws him and he recreates the scene of his denial, a charcoal fire. But now, not, not, in, the, not in the court, but, but in the Sea of Galilee, just by the shore. And, and there they are. And he says, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three times he denies him. Three times he asks him. Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. And it's the two on the road. It's, it's the two traveling to Emmaus. And they, they said, they're, they're downcast. And uh, Jesus, I, forgive me, can we, can we say the Lord is cheeky? But he, he comes alongside the two. And the two are downcast. They're traveling on the road to Emmaus. And he, he comes alongside. He says, hey, what's up? And they say, what's up? Do you not know? Where have you been? Can you imagine the irony? Where have you been? Have you not heard about Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus standing there goes, what happened? Tell me about this guy. Wow. And here, they, it says we had hoped that he would deliver Israel. The Bible says Jesus started to unpack from the Scriptures to the two as they traveled on the road. And, and he starts to talk to them. And he, he tells them from the Old Testament everything that was going to be said concerning himself. And they say afterwards, were not our hearts burning as he talked to us on the road? Wow. And he makes as if to go on. And they say, no, come in, come in. And, and he comes in and he breaks the bread. And when he breaks the bread, their eyes are open. And suddenly they realize it's Jesus. So personal. What's that telling us today? I think these gospel accounts are telling us his resurrection was for you. And he comes right to your chair today. And he says, I came for you. And there's no one too broken. There's no one with too many doubts. There's no one who's, who's messed up too bad. There's no one who understands too little for Jesus' life not to come to an open heart. And I wonder... As we come to a close, if we can just consider our own hearts and our lives. You know, 30 years ago, Jesus came to my family. We weren't expecting him. My mom went to a church and, and had a dramatic encounter with the Holy Spirit. She didn't even know what was going on. She went to this place where the, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God was so powerful and so strong. And there were words of knowledge and people were getting healed and people were being prayed for and speaking in tongues. She'd never been in an environment like that in her life. And, and it all got a bit much. And she leant over to her friend to say, I'm going to go and get some fresh air. But as she leant over, she never got to say that because the Holy Spirit impacted her life. She felt a burning sensation in the shape of a cross on her back and she was stuck in that moment. I remember as a 16-year-old and many of you have heard me tell my story. She must have gone out without any house keys. She rang the doorbell. I opened the front door to my own mum and I said, what has happened to you? 
She was radiant. There was, a, there was a brightness in her eyes. There was a glow in her face I'd never seen. And she said, I have no idea what has happened to me. But Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, had appeared to her. He'd come to live in her. He'd set her heart on fire. The next morning, she knelt by her bed to say the Lord's Prayer, began speaking in tongues, didn't even know what it was. She phoned a friend up to take her to the meeting and said, I, I, I feel like I've started speaking in Hebrew, but I've never learned it. What's going on? And Jesus came and melted my sister's heart and he melted my heart. And after us three, he melted my dad's heart. Grown up an atheist in an atheist family. So I never believe in God, but he came down the front of a church. Why? Because Jesus came. And my dad invited the life of Jesus into his life. And I wonder here today if we can, as we come to a, a close, close our eyes and bow our heads. I just wonder for a moment if you can consider your own life and your own heart. I wonder if you need the life of Jesus here in these moments. My friend, I wonder if there are some here, maybe there's somebody. Maybe you've never experienced this life of Jesus. Maybe you've never accepted the message of the cross. Maybe here today, you know you need to get right with God. Maybe in these moments, you know you have to put things right. And let me tell you, my friend, like Mary, you're not too broken. Like Thomas, if you've got doubts, it's like Jesus really doesn't care. He's not phased by that. Maybe you feel like you failed, but Jesus would come and stand by you today and say, it doesn't put me off. Maybe you don't understand it all like the two on the road. Let me tell you, you don't need to understand it all. But if you can believe in Jesus today and know you need to put your life right with Him, I'm going to invite you to respond in just a moment. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ or maybe some years ago you've made a decision to follow Him. You know, as you sit here today, you're not where you need to be with God and you know you need to put that right. And the invitation is you would come and receive His life afresh into your heart and your being. It's only a prayer away. And if that's you, you either need to make your peace with God for the first time or you need to renew a prayer and invite His life into your life. I'm going to invite you right now with heads bowed and eyes closed to stand to your feet across this room. Is there somebody today? Stand now. Great, great, thank you, thank you. There's some others that need to stand, not for me, but for you. I'm gonna give you just a moment. You know you need to put your life on a right footing with God. And here on this Easter Sunday, invite His life to come afresh. You might need to say sorry, but then to invite His life to come and renew you. There's a couple more need to stand. I'm just going to give you one moment. If you know you need to stand, stand now. Yeah. That's good. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to invite you, if you've stood as best as you can, to pray this and mean this. And know that the God who created the heavens and the earth, this Jesus who conquered the grave, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit hear you in this moment and will take you at your word.
If you've decided to follow Jesus, why not pray this prayer out loud with me to help those who are standing. Lord Jesus, I believe you are alive. Thank you for taking my place upon the cross. Thank you for dying for me. Please forgive me for all the things I've done wrong, the things I'm aware of, and the things I'm not. Come and be Savior. Make me clean. Come and be Lord. Come and live in me. I open my heart to you. Come by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Can we all stand together? A prayer for those that responded. May you know the transforming power of the risen Jesus. May you know the newness of life, the forgiveness from sins, and the power of Jesus living in you. I wonder for all of us, if we might like to pray a really simple prayer. If you already decided to follow him and here today, you simply want to invite his life afresh in you. I invite you to pray this prayer out loud with me that simply says, risen living Jesus, come and live in me. Risen living Jesus. I'll lead you in just a moment. Let me take you through it so you know what you're praying before you pray. Come and reign in me. Risen living Jesus, may your life flow from me to others for the honor of your name. If you're ready to pray that, let's pray that together. Here we go. Risen living Jesus, come and live in me. Risen living Jesus, come and reign in me. Risen living Jesus, may your life flow from me to others for the honor of your name. Amen. Amen.